One day, Matthew was sitting at work. It's just another normal day for Matthew. Another day of lining his own pockets. He was waist deep in corruption and everyone hated him for it. You wonder if he felt trapped by the choices he'd made, the choice to collaborate with the Romans. Or maybe he reveled in the power of it all. Either way, the day took an unexpected turn. A traveling teacher walked by. Now we can assume that Matthew had heard of this man who people said did extraordinary miracles and taught with authority. Maybe Matthew leaned forward on his stool to try and get a better view as Jesus walked by. Or maybe he slouched down, just instinctively trying to hide from this godly man because of the shame he felt at what his life had become. To his shock, Jesus stopped and he looked him right in the eye and he said, follow me. You can imagine a thousand things going through Matthew's head. But in that moment, he made the most important choice of his life. Matthew stood up and followed Jesus. Everything changed in an instant. For a long time, Matthew had been traveling in one direction, away from God and away from his goodness. But in that moment, he left it all behind in pursuit of Jesus. Everything that had defined him before, all that that selfishness and failure, it was all dead and gone. Matthew, the tax collector, became Matthew, the disciple of Jesus. And Jesus was unlike anyone else who'd ever lived. He did and said things that only God could do and say because he was the son of God. Matthew spent the next few years devoted to Jesus, learning from him, seeing the amazing things that he was doing and following him wherever he went. Until one night in a garden outside of the city, soldiers showed up and Matthew ran. He was terrified. Matthew ran away, but Jesus didn't. He allowed himself to be arrested, beaten, and executed on a cross. The very worst way to die. Matthew must have been a broken man. His new life, this life devoted to Jesus, was over. except it wasn't. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and went to see Matthew and his friends. He, he spoke with them. He ate with them. He explained that he died and rose again to fulfill God's plan to save the world. And then he appeared to hundreds of other people. After that, he told Matthew and his friends to meet him at a mountain in Galilee. Matthew wrote down what happened next. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
should come up on this. Oh, it's come up. That screen isn't working. That's what's throwing me. At least we have this one working. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. Then Jesus said to, came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the last words recorded by Matthew in his gospel that we now know as the first book of the New Testament. Straight afterwards, Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus' final earthly commands are known as the Great Commission. There are instructions to Matthew and his friends to all followers of Jesus, including you if you're a Christian. And we're spending this term focusing on the Great Commission. We're asking God to recalibrate us so that we are eager and able to do what he has asked us to do. Last week, Dan looked at Jesus' commands for his followers to go in the authority of Jesus, to be his witnesses. Today, we're going to zoom in on two instructions in particular. Make disciples and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is asking you to make disciples and teach them to obey everything he has commanded. Now, of course, before we make disciples, we have to understand, we have to know what it is to to be a disciple. If you're going to teach somebody to drive, you need to be a driver, right? Otherwise, it's going to be a horrible crash, or the car won't be going very far, one of the two. To be a disciple is to follow the living Lord Jesus. The Greek word used for disciple, mathetes, literally means student, committed learner or follower. Disciples who uh, followed rabbis back in Jesus' day learned from their teaching, but they also sought to imitate the practical details of their life. Jesus himself explained what it looks like to be his disciple. In Matthew 16, 24 to 25, he said, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Being a disciple of Jesus means giving your life, your whole life, over to him. It means answering his call to follow, just like Matthew did. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you you haven't given your whole life to Jesus. I'm really glad you're here. And so is Jesus. And he's, he's looking at you today like he looked at Matthew. And he's saying, follow me. Your past is no barrier because Jesus offers complete forgiveness, a fresh start. Wow. I urge you to decide today to follow 
Jesus. That is the best and most important decision that you'll ever make in your whole life. And in making that choice, something hugely significant happens. You don't belong to yourself anymore. In Galatians 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself so that you might know forgiveness, peace with God, fullness of life, eternal life with him. The only appropriate response is to follow him without reservation or condition. And as we do that, we become more like him. Being a disciple means becoming more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit within the family of the church. So let me just unpack that a bit. Being a disciple isn't only being Uh, isn't only doing what you're told, although that is really important. Jesus told his followers, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But Jesus never gives you a command without also giving you the power to obey. In his very next sentence in John 14, Jesus explained how we are to keep his commandments. He said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit, his followers, to live within us, giving us the power to obey him and transforming us from the inside out so that we look more and more like him. And this process isn't something that happens in isolation. It happens within the church. God uses his church. He uses other Christians to help you become more like Jesus. Loads of what we do at King's is for that purpose. Our Sunday services, worshiping together, hearing the word preached. These aren't just nice things to do on a Sunday. They're ways in which we should expect to encounter the living God and be changed by him. Being a committed member of your midweek small group, getting together with your running partners. These are things that are designed to help you become more and more like Jesus. So being a disciple means becoming more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit within the family of the church. And a key part of being a disciple is making disciples. There's a, there's a key connection between following Jesus and making disciples. When Jesus first called one of his followers, Peter, he said, come, follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. The instruction to follow is, to be a disciple is, it is immediately followed by a promise. I will teach you how to fish for people. In other words, I will teach you how to bring lost people into the kingdom of God. I'll teach you how to make disciples. So let's learn from Jesus. How did he make disciples? Well, firstly, 
he proclaimed the gospel. He told a lot of people the good news about himself and about the kingdom of God. Often, I think, when we speak about discipleship, we kind of tend to mean training up people who are already believers. That's really important. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But let's not miss the obvious glaring fact that in the Great Commission, Jesus is primarily calling us to disciple unbelievers. He commands us to go out and and bring in skeptics and sinners, just like he did. In Luke's gospel, a crowd surrounds Jesus, and they just love being with him so much that they want to keep him all to themselves. But Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Later on, he said, the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. That was his purpose in coming to earth to call people who are lost to follow him and then to make a way for them to do that. Jesus wants to impart faith to you this morning that you might go out and lead people who don't yet know Jesus to become his disciples. Maybe you find that a bit daunting. Maybe it feels like a long way away from where you're kind of at right now. But remember, Jesus never commands us to do anything without giving us the power to do it. He is with you. And as you step out in faith, you'll find that you are not the pioneer in this work. You'll see that you're simply joining in the work that God is already doing in people's hearts, the people around you. I don't know about you, but all too often I find myself just kind of assuming that People around me aren't interested in God. Can you relate to that? The truth is, God is at work in people around you. Some people are just waiting to be discipled. They're desperately needing our help to understand what Jesus has done for them so that they can step into eternal life. A friend of mine grew up in an intensely secular household. And when she was a young child at school, they were learning about the major religions of the world. And she read about a historical character called Jesus. And and something about this this character and the things that he'd said just caught her attention more than the other founders of the major religions. She tried to find out more, but there there was no one to tell her. She hassled her parents to take her to church. Maybe at church she thought there'd be some people to explain more about Jesus. So eventually one day, reluctantly, they they walked into um, a Catholic church building on a Sunday, but it was kind of empty apart from a few uh, elderly ladies sitting quietly. It was all very confusing for a young girl. And her search continued on and off throughout her childhood and teenage years, but it only led to more frustration. And and that frustration reached boiling point. One day, when as a young adult, she was walking through the streets of her city, and she found herself talking to Jesus, just saying, listen, if you are real, if you are there, you have to show yourself to me. You have to show that to me right now, or I am giving up. I am done. 
And at that moment, a stranger walked right up to her and said, can I tell you about Jesus? Yes, she said. <laughs> the man explained to her what Jesus had done for her by dying to forgive her, rising so that she could have new life. And then he asked her if she was ready to give her life to him. I've been ready since I was a child, she said. This guy was planting a new church in that city, and this was actually their first Sunday. Uh, and you can imagine his surprise that in amongst everyone else that was kind of ignoring him, walking past on the street and maybe even making fun of him, there was this young lady who was just so desperate to know Jesus. And who do you think put that desire in her heart in the first place? God was at work. That friend is now part of this church. Her name's Farah. And uh, you can feel free to ask her more about what God's done in her life. She'd love to tell you. There are people out there who desperately need and want to be discipled. If only somebody would speak to them about Jesus. We're going to be practicing how to do that in our small groups over the coming weeks. We've written 10 sets of notes for your small group to work through uh, in the lead up to Christmas to help you explore how we can more regularly and more confidently share our faith and make disciples. Not everyone you speak to is going to respond like Farah in that story. But our job is to be looking for the person who's, who's open. As you share the good news of Jesus, some people will be open. They might not be completely convinced right away, but that openness is, is a key first step in discipleship. A good way to see it is your job is to leave people a step closer to Jesus. In Acts 17, Paul tells a crowd of people in Athens about Jesus. He preaches his heart out, and then some people make fun of him. But some people said, we'll hear you again about this. Through Paul's efforts, some of the crowds took one step closer to Jesus. That's a huge win. It's a sign that God is at work. Sharing the gospel is something that we can do with everyone, just like Jesus did. Helping people take that step closer to Jesus is something that we can ex expect to do with some of those people. And if we do those things regularly, we can absolutely expect that we will get opportunities to help people become disciples of Jesus. Amen? So Jesus showed us the way that we start making disciples by telling lots of people the good news about him. The next thing that Jesus did to make disciples was he taught. He spent a lot of his time teaching people about God. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, I counted at least 10 direct references to Jesus teaching or explaining. In the Gospel of Mark, the shortest gospel, I counted at least 19 references he taught crowds, he taught in their synagogues, he taught in the temple, he traveled around teaching in their cities and towns, and he also devoted massive amounts of time to teaching his small group, the 12 disciples. He took people who had taken that first step to follow him, people like Matthew, and he taught them where to do the same. 
Jesus instructed us in the Great Commission, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to learn to drive. And as soon as I was 17, I enthusiastically got in the car with my dad. The L plates were on. I was ready to go. I switched the engine on, and I looked expectantly at my dad. He just said, well, on you go. I was like, how? He was like, you know, drive. It's like, I don't know how to drive. That's why we're here. <laughs> sure you do, he said. You know, clutch up, gas down, away you go. It's like, I don't even really know what you mean. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me with this puzzled look. I was like, oh, oh, all right. Okay. And started in more detail explaining the things I had to do to make the car move. Some of the foundational bits of knowledge that I would need, like what the clutch was. <laughs> when we got back to the house later, mom said, how did it go? And I was like, I think dad was a little surprised that I didn't know how to drive. <laughs> but we can fall into that trap with people new to faith sometimes. As though once somebody's expressed a real interest in Jesus, job done. Or maybe because they're coming along to church, we just assume that they'll figure out how to walk with Jesus and they'll flourish in their Christian life. Unfortunately, it's not really how it works. We need to get alongside people. We need to be intentional. We need to offer our help. There are some key foundational truths that we need to spend time sharing and, and talking about. We want people to understand things like being saved by the grace of God, being baptized, being filled with the Holy Spirit, how to read the Bible, stuff like that. And this isn't just a job for church leaders or super spiritual Christians. The Great Commission is for all Christians. So what I've just described is a responsibility for all Christians. It's for you. We've got a great course at King's called POD, Path of Disciples. It's designed to help people come to understand Jesus as a foundation for life and how to walk with him. It's really great um, for new people exploring, exploring faith or, or, or people who are, are new Christians. And it's a brilliant way for you to disciple others. It's not the only way you can do it, but it is a great way. And anyone can use POD to help others on their journey uh, of faith, their journey of discipleship. And, and my hope is that loads of people in this church would feel confident to do that with one or two people. If you want more info about that, you can uh, speak to me or uh, Guy and Jocelyn Pembroke, uh, head up pod at this church. I think they're on holiday this week, but we'll make sure their details are in the news email on Tuesday. So Jesus proclaimed the good news and he taught people. Finally, he commissioned others. Jesus made disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. Obviously, the keystone of Jesus commissioning us is the Great Commission that we started with today. The true DNA of the church has always been about passing on what we've received. In Acts chapter 9, the resurrected Jesus appeared to a man named Paul. He was on his way uh, to Damascus to imprison or kill a bunch of Christians there. 
But Jesus intervened, and Paul gave his life to Jesus. What a miracle. But that was just the beginning. Because Paul understood that having been saved, he'd also been commissioned to share the good news with others, thousands of others, as it turned out. He made many disciples. But there are some people in particular who Paul took under his wing and trained up to do the same things that he was doing. One of those was Timothy. In his last known letter to Timothy, Paul wrote, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He wants this disciple of Jesus, who he's invested so much in, to keep making disciples who are able to make disciples. This is the way the kingdom of God operates. There's growth. There's multiplication. The torch is passed through the generations so that more and more people might come to know Jesus. And when we really understand our role in this, the impact will be wide-reaching and long-lasting. In the 1840s in Scotland, the Holy Spirit was stirring people to go and make disciples. One man, Thomas Chalmers, was particularly distressed about the spiritual and material plight of poor people living in the cities. The populations of Edinburgh and Glasgow and the other big cities were exploding at the time, filled mostly with poverty-stricken people crowded into filthy slums, increasingly without faith or any connection at all to a church. In 1844, Chalmers began work here in Edinburgh, and he was determined to establish a new church and a mission organization um, at the Westport. The Westport at the time was one of the Uh, poorest, most crime-affected districts in the whole of Scotland. Pretty different today. It's just along the road from here between uh, Lothian Road and the Grass Market, just behind the uh, Edinburgh College of Art. In the 1820s, a few years before this, it had been the scene of the gruesome Burke and Hare murders, and the community was trapped in widespread alcoholism, prostitution, violent crime, disease, and illiteracy. Chalmers toiled night and day to visit homes and share the love of God. He read the Bible, he prayed for the occupants, and he invited them to worship services that he was putting on. In one tenement of 20 apartments, they found every single adult so drunk that they couldn't respond to the screams of their starving children. They gave some bread to the kids, but after they left, they immediately found some of the parents in the tavern next door, trying to sell it for more whiskey. The task was huge. Luckily, Chalmers had learned from Jesus how to raise up disciple-making disciples. He immediately set about training up an army of like-minded missionaries. One man in particular became the Timothy to his Paul, He was called William Tasker, and he became the minister of the church at the Westport in 1847, the same year that Chalmers died. Tasker's obituary says, at an early period, Dr. Chalmers saw in Mr. Tasker the very man he needed for the work on which he'd set his heart. They were well matched. 
They loved each other for many reasons, but mainly because they loved their common work in Christ's cause. Chalmers' training of Tasker was a really great investment. <laughs> Under Tasker's leadership, the district was transformed. He opened schools to provide quality, cheap education for hundreds and hundreds of kids. A savings bank, a library, a public bath, a wash house soon followed, all leading to massive social change. But most excitingly of all for Tasker, the church grew exponentially. By the time of his death, In 1879, the new church at the Westport numbered 1,100 members. And if that had been it, that would have been amazing. But because Tasker knew that his goal was to make disciples that make disciples, he kept training more and more missionaries and church leaders to work in the Westport and beyond. One such missionary, discipled by Tasker, was called John Morgan. In 1865, John Morgan became a licensed minister himself and was appointed to lead Fountain Bridge Church just along the road from the Westport. It had 42 members. Six years later, it had 1,130 members and a new building was required to house them all. Do you know where that new building was built? We're in it. Right here. John Morgan led a thriving congregation in this building until he died in 1910. There's a memorial to him behind our PA desk at the back. From Chalmers to Tasker to Morgan and many others, the torch was passed. It's a story of what God can do through disciples that understand our calling to go and make disciples who make disciples. And this is a torch that we now get to pick up and run with. We only bought this building 12 years ago, but I feel like there's a connection there. There's a heritage that we get to claim and say, yes, let's do this again. Let's see God at work again. One of the ways that we want to do that at King's is through the Grow course that we heard about earlier on. We want to see loads of men and women discipled and trained up to go and make disciples, to see new small group leaders raised up to see new churches planted, to see new communities reached with the gospel. This is normal Christianity. It's just doing what Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission. We're called to make disciples, both inside and outside of the church. We have been commissioned to call unbelievers to follow Jesus. And we've been commissioned to teach believers what it is to follow Jesus. To be a disciple is to make disciples. This all starts with laying our lives down at the feet of the one that we follow and receiving power from him to go and do what he's sent us to do.